0: Welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. You know, reinventing the way we do things has become commonplace because of COVID, and adapting and overcoming has always been the EMS mantra. In today's episode, we will highlight yet another example of this. Reach Me at Home, Alexandria Pioneers Remote 911 Call Taking by James Careless is featured in the December issue of EMS World. This article dives into the revolutionary steps taken in Alexandria, Virginia, to bring nine one one call screening to the homes of telecommunicators. With me today is Sally Price. Sally is the public safety communications supervisor at the Department of Emergency Communications in Alexandria, Virginia. Sally, welcome.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So, before we start, I just have to ask, how cool and how different was this whole thing? Um,
1: from a standpoint of just getting up. In your pajamas and walking into your living room or, or the room, wherever you have your setup it was great. The uh, wake up time and the travel time was, you know, bare minimum.
0: <laughs> I certainly cut back on uh, on travel and commuting, I'm sure. Yes. But as far as process is concerned, how, how was this impacted? When you first heard about this, what was the consensus from yourself and from your colleagues? As to how this was going to play out.
1: So the ones that've been doing this for a while were like, "Oh, that doesn't seem like it's going to work good. How do you do nine one one or call take, you know, from your home on a laptop or you know, however the system you have set up?" So we were kind of like, "Yeah, I don't know if that's going to work or not."
0: <laughs> sure, I think that customarily in EMS, and we've spoken about this in past podcasts, change is always uh, met with a great deal of resistance. And so this was obviously a a huge change. And the pandemic has forced us to think outside of the box in so many different areas. People were forced to stay home at work so that essential employees could continue to go to work. And, you know, this type of story really highlights the approach here is basically combining both principles, essential workers staying home to protect others. So with respect to how it worked, maybe you could just give the listener a little bit of an inkling as to how this process plays out at home. You know, as far as the technology, and, we, and we'll and we certainly keep it at base level technology, but how are you getting these calls? How is this getting routed to your home?
1: Right. So um, our IT people actually set up the system and we were using Wi-Fi hotspots. Okay. And um, each with the security and everything like that so they were um, you take your whole phone in a box computer in a box home and my I actually my, my setup was almost mimicking at work I got me I I got a couple of um, bigger monitors so hooked everything up like that because it's on a laptop and when you're looking at a small screen of a laptop and you have like six or seven windows you have to have open you know for your CAD system it it makes it kind of hard so I went and got bigger uh, monitors and attached it. So you had the you had your system of your um your CAD system and then you had your phone system, and they were all working off of the Wi-Fi hotspot, and it was. Uh, uh, obviously separate from from any of the system. It was guided through, so there was security.
0: Right. So the security element obviously is a, is a huge part of this. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah. you, we're dealing with, with patient privacy. I read in the article that FirstNet was utilized as far as the responder hotspot. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. There were FirstNet uh, hotspots, yes.
0: And how did it work? As far as glitches is concerned, and, and believe me, I've said it a million times, Technologically, I am, I'm certainly impaired, but how did glitches play out in this type of process? And if they did, how were they remedied?
1: True. And, and at the beginning, you know, it's trial and error as you first start out and somebody has to do it first. So, um, there was a couple of them um, issues. Uh, the beginning, it started out with only non-emergency lines and no 911 lines were going to be answered you know, right. because they didn't know how that would play out. Um, and and sometimes you would lose your uh your Wi-Fi connection temporarily, and you'd have to log back into the system. So I mean that that's like with anything with internet, you know, it has its up and ups and downs like that. I actually, when I took my setup home, I agreed to go ahead and um, test out doing the nine one one. Taking a nine one one call, and um, that actually went fine. Everything came up as. As should have come up, you know, the imported into my CAD, and I was able to take the 911, submit it. All that worked perfectly. Um, we, didn't, we didn't have any issues as far as that. Now, um, there was just a, I think maybe out of the, the whole time I was home, I might have had two 911 calls that actually, the, when the Wi Fi hotspot or the Wi Fi dropped, I lost the call. And as soon as I was able to get back in, actually, I used my cell phone, and I made a call to the center to make sure somebody had actually taken the 911. It does; it goes into a queue, and it rings back into the next call taker, so you don't lose a 911 call taker. It might just be a little temporary, you know, pause in that.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask. So, you, so you're actually getting the 911 calls routed to your home, correct?
1: Correct, yes.
0: And is there a rotation or is it just kind of a, uh, is it kind of like a trunk system that it just bounces to the next line for an open operator? How, how did it set up as far as those that were home? because there were still people that were working inside the center? Correct.
1: Correct. So how the system was set up is it, it had to remote into a working station at the center. Okay. So so each yeah, each system you took home, remoted into an actual working um console that was set up at the center that nobody was sitting at. So, I guess it worked remotely off of that. And yeah, it did. It did.
0: So, in essence, you were you were augmenting and supplementing the resources that you actually had inside the center. You never actually lost personnel or manpower. It's just that it was split up to protect and 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 in all honesty, just truthfully break up the amount of people that were inside, correct?
1: Correct. So we actually took s- several steps to, you know, to make sure that we would always have at least some kind of staffing. Um, we had half the half the uh, group split up with our main center and our backup center. And then we had the take-home phones on top of it. So we were working every kind of avenue we could work to secure that at least, you know, if anybody did get COVID, it wouldn't take every all our personnel out, and then there would be nobody available, you know, for nine one one.
0: Very forward thinking. How did it work? Did you have folks come down with COVID inside of your center or for your operation?
1: Yeah, we we've had a couple, um, but through the whole course of uh, what is it, nine months or eleven months, however long it's been, but very minimal. As compared to, um, I, I realize that I think some other agencies and mm. other in other areas in Florida, it took out the whole center. So I understand there was some problems and that's what we wanted to alleviate. We definitely didn't want to, um, you know, take out our, our, all our resources. They even, um, did remote out of hotels. They even had a, um, a hotel setup that also did the same thing just in case.
0: It's, it's pretty fascinating how, uh, forward thinking this, this was. And I'm, I'm curious, how did it, how did it all come about? I mean, I, obviously we were all changing in, in many different fashions, and how we were going to attack this and protect our personnel and make sure that we maintain par and staffing. But how did this come about? Was this conversation that went on with administration and that was funneled back to you for input? Again, you are pioneering this entire thing. So how, how did this all come to be?
1: It's funny because I think our IT department and with CAD and Motorola and FirstNet, I think they were all talking a while back because it was... Um, when it was first mentioned that technology is moving forward, it was like last year and, and they had told us, well, just think about it. There's a lot of things coming forward. You, pretty soon you'll be able to work from home. And I said, no, that that's never going to work. And it wasn't within less than a year later. Here, here we are doing it. And I guess they decided to go ahead and run with it and test it out. This would be the best time. I mean, and it definitely was the best time to do it during the circumstances.
0: Some of the questions that I had about dropping calls and technological glitches and things like that, some of the other more practical type concerns that I would think would come to the forefront with this, this type of practice being at home would be the patient privacy element to this, right? So you are dealing with, uh, with patients and, and you are speaking to them and you are inputting into a CAD. Was there a concern there from the staff that, that could, there could potentially be a violation?
1: right um i think that was uh asked at the beginning but you know being in the business that we're in and we we know you know have to follow the laws and things like that uh, i think everybody that took a, a phone home and support was well aware that you just need to isolate yourself make sure that you know you're in a in a room in your home where you know that that um that nobody else if anybody was was home and all that, that privacy that would still remain we still had to maintain all the privacy rules that applied in the center outside.
0: Absolutely, and then what about just some of the um, some of the things that could have gone on that may have been a distraction, such as kids or dogs barking in the background? Was, was there ever any stories that came out about that, or concerns that people had that, oh my lord, my Doberman might start barking while I'm on a nine one one call?
1: So funny you say that because um, I have a bird and it. It squeals sometimes or will scream, and also I had my dog and my cat with me. And if somebody would knock on the door, I would assume, well, man, the dogs would start barking. Um, the only issue was the bird a couple of times, but I, as far as I know, we never had anybody report anything or complain about any background noise to anything like that. Nobody, nobody ever um, really said anything about that. So I'm assuming they didn't hear the bird, or they just didn't.
0: Or, or it just became the norm in these times, which, you know, truth be told, I actually believe that there is some of that. I, you know, being in, in 2020 and what we've gone through, I think to call 911 and hear a bird screaming in the background, it might actually not even be crazy. People are like, yeah, that's normal. Um, so, you know, I think that everybody understands that we're going to extremes and, right. you know, whatever, as long as the call is getting answered, it's getting answered. Don't ask questions.
1: Yeah, I put I put a cover over a cage, but you know, still the same.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, how big how big is your center, Sally? I mean, how many calls for service do you get, and that and that you're screening on a daily basis?
1: Um, if you're talking like in a 24 hour period, sure. covering day and night, uh, on the average, roughly, m- maybe if it's not busy or something like that, around. Six hundred or so calls, and that's including non-emergency and nine-one-one. Busy nights, it could get anywhere up to about eight to nine hundred calls.
0: Wow, that that is busy. So, how many how many personnel are are staffing the center at any given time?
1: Um, at any given time, it's anywhere between six to seven, and um, we have uh, four four shifts um, that work opposite. So, we have a day and a night which is would be like today is group A and then group C comes in for night. And then we work our rotation. And then the next group that comes in would be B and then D. So, and it's a 24 hour thing. We work 12 hour shifts.
0: Okay. And is everybody in EMD, an emergency medical dispatcher?
1: Yes. That's a requirement with all our training. Yes.
0: Sure. And, and I'm assuming that you use some sort of call screening platform, whether it's ProQA or something that you utilize.
1: Yeah, we, we have Power Phone. And um, at the beginning, I think I had a hard time launching with the, with the take home boxes, but we have the cards. So um, everyone had the, the cards at home so they can, they can uh, you know, queue off of the cards to ask the questions and things.
0: How did that go over? <laughs> because well, we all know, again, in EMS, once we, once, we get, uh, w- once we have the ability to get cushy with some modern technology, we hate to go back to certain things like cards.
1: <laughs> that, that's true. But um, on and off, actually, our center goes back and forth. Sometimes we do, do use the cards, and sometimes we, we, we may forget to prompt the system, so we grab the cards. So we actually, pretty much everybody here is used to using both of them.
0: So now that you've had time to adapt to this and and your colleagues have had time to adapt to this, it seems to me, you know, based upon the reading that this is something that's going to be implemented long term. And so I'm curious as to with the bugs out of it and with the familiarity with it now, is this something that you feel is going to benefit the structure long term? How is this going to become just common nature? Uh, for telecommunicators?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it's nice short term. I think a couple of there, there's just a couple of downfalls where, you know, um, you lack the uh, center awareness. And I think that's something that's important. Sometimes, you know, when you may be taking a hot call and you don't have time to call the other person or send a message on the computer or something, um, it's easier to yell across the room or something. And I think that, you know, in little circumstances like that, that would be kind of like the issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now, even as we're working in two different centers, it's the same thing because um, sometimes when we we have um, somebody that has to come in to help staff, we're still not allowing. So if I work overtime because somebody's short on the other you know, on the other side, I still have to come to my assigned um, location, which is I'm at, I'm at the backup center. So I could be here all by myself that day and I still have to communicate with the other center. So we're still kind of doing that even at centers.
0: Just to reiterate a, an important piece is that you are not doing the dispatching from home. So you're taking the call, you're inputting it into the CAD and then it's actually getting dispatched from the center, correct?
1: Correct. Yes. Yeah. Because the cat, you know, the cads are, you know, they communicate with each other. So as soon as you enter the call in, it'll show up on the um, dispatcher screen.
0: And did that feel different? Not having the ability to dispatch out those units, or or be able to locate where those units are, is that was that a totally different feel for the dispatchers at home?
1: Um, no, because if we were, if we're in the, in the capacity of taking the, you know, being a call taker at the time, we're not in the capacity of the dispatching, it's different, but we still have the access. We can see, you know, with the AVL on our units, we can still see where the units are, what they're doing, what call they're assigned to. There's nothing different with that other than that we cannot communicate over a radio with them. Got it. We can still send them messages on their MDB and everything. All that's functional.
0: Well, again, I, I really think that it's a, a truly uh, an innovative approach at, at changing the way we do business on on a daily basis. And uh, you know, kudos to Alexandria for implementing this and and really being a pioneer and probably going to be prototype for many other uh, communication centers as we move forward. You know, who knows what's next for us? But to know that this actually does work and there's legitimacy to this, and it's been proven, is a, a true feather in the cap to Alexandria, Virginia, and, and the efforts that they put forth.
1: Oh, oh yeah. I, I can already tell you, there's been several uh, agencies that already reached out and, and asking all kinds of information on on going forward with this. So, it's definitely out there now.
0: Well, it's great. And Sally, I really do appreciate you coming on with us today to, to explain this in, in better depth. And everybody should go to the December issue to read this article again. It's Reach Me at Home, Alexandria Pioneers Remote 911 Call Taking. It's, it's truly a, a fascinating article and, and shows just how out of the box we can think in EMS. So, Sally, thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, thanks, Mike.
0: Well, this has been another episode of EMS World Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, save the date and mark your calendars for EMS World Expo 2021, which will be October 4th to the 8th in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks again. We'll talk to you real soon. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS
1: World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.